It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or a Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you from The Athletic. Of course, our good friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you? Doing good, guys. Good to hear from you, as always. Hey, give us your read on uh, what happened yesterday with the Jazz. Uh, if you were following it, there were reports that uh, Mike Conley was going to go to the bench in favor of Royce O'Neal, and then a couple hours later, uh, we find out that actually Mike Conley will remain in the starting lineup. Joe Ingles goes to the bench. Mike actually said that he uh, left shoot-around thinking he was going to the bench and then woke up from his nap realizing that he was starting again. But uh, what do you make of that story from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just clearly, and I was tracking it, um, a symptom of some of the struggles going on internally with the Jazz as they try to figure out how to make the puzzle pieces work. You know what I mean? And and to me, the somewhat uncomfortable dynamic here is that the incredible respect that everybody has for Mike Conley and with good reason, um, it feels like that's coloring some of these judgments a little bit in terms of, you know, the kind of that having that, that cold calculus of how should, you know, these basketball players be best used and meaning that like, just let's call a spade a spade. When they got Mike Conley, nobody envisioned him coming off the bench. And that is a tough bridge to cross. Um, And it's probably something that if I was Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay in that group, um, you know, that's, it's hard to, to come back from that, um, except for the fact that, to me, I mean, Mike is universally known as a team guy and somebody who is, is just going to do whatever's best for the squad. But it just it, it reflected to me that uncertainty that's going on internally on how to use this roster. And so I wasn't really shocked because this debate about Joe Ingles in particular and the fact that when he was coming off the bench, he wasn't playing his best ball and then when he was starting he was um you know it's just tricky but these guys they, they're trying to figure it out at a crucial point of the year and that's that's the key point there sam if if you're losing games and mike conley has not been particularly effective and yet he's making the money that he's making with the reputation that he has with all the pressure that comes with that and then there is some announcement or some some determination made that he's not going to start. And then it, the determination is made that, no, he will be starting. It's almost as though there's some arm wrestling going on here as to what is the most effective way to, 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 for the Jazz to fight their way through this. And in the meantime, they continue to lose games. It's It's... It's tough, man. I mean, at some point, don't you have to sort of put the money you're paying and the reputation aside in order to do whatever's best for the team to win a game? No, absolutely. And that's where that's where the NBA is a it's a tricky league because you know it just the money and the politics does come into play. It just does, you know. And uh, I know, like in my neck of the woods, you know, one example that comes to mind is. 
the Kings went out. They gave uh, Dwayne Dedman a bunch of money last summer. Um, way too much money, if you ask me. But then this young guy, Rashawn Holmes, comes along and outplays him in training camp, and it took them a little while, but they ended up giving Rashawn Dwayne's job, even though he made about a tenth of the money. And I guarantee you that their coach, Luke Walton, was thrilled that, that he was able to do that because a lot of times in this league, the, the money – I mean, what it does is it, it the, the fear, this is not a jazz commentary, this is just a reality across the league, the fear for some front office executives would obviously be that, okay, great, so Mike comes off the bench, we turn around, we win 10 in a row, um, I still don't look good because, I, you know, I, we went out and paid 30-plus million dollars for a six-man. That's just not great business. and And so... Um, I think that is where this gets tricky because, you know, I don't know where you go in the long term if this is the move that gets made and the move that helps. Uh, but in the short term, which should be the priority because this Jazz team was supposed to contend, you, I do think, uh, you, and certainly I'm sure the coaches agree, you got to do what's best for this season right now. Sam, why do you think that the Conley thing hasn't worked? I mean, it, some, there are times out there when he looks like he doesn't either feel comfortable or even know where he should be going. It's it's kind of strange for a guy with the universal respect that he has. I can't speak to it. I mean, I, I talked to Mike briefly about it early in the season. I know that you know you, we've talked about that on this show, the, the perspective that I gleaned at that time. Um you know, my best guess would be, I mean, I don't have a ton to offer there, Gordon, other than the obvious, which is when you, just a, from a life standpoint, when you are in one environment for so long, uh, maybe part of what we're learning the hard way here is that it's just an incredibly tough adjustment to get out of those habits. And, and Mike and I had talked about how everything from the lingo about play calls to uh, this, the systemic stuff, um, and the way they function and the feel within your teammates and the feel with the coaching staff, it's hard to develop that. And you're developing, uh, developing it or trying to with some pressure applied because of not only your contract, but just the hype around what it meant that you were coming to town. So I don't know. I think that it's there are some guards in this league also where it, it is a, an inexact science to figure out who you should put them next to. And I'm talking about Donovan Mitchell, because as great as he is, you know, we've seen it with a Ricky Rubio type, and there were times when that was really good, but then everybody focused on the shooting and and thought that a, a different breed was better. Um, but, you know, part of this is, you know, and like a guy like Luka Doncic comes to mind. Like I've talked to people recently about, you know, what guards uh, should you be putting next to Luka? Because as great as he is, you know, he's not going to necessarily augment other people who are on the wing. So um, that's where we're looking at this saying Mike and Donovan, clearly it's not just Mike and Donovan, but that pairing has not been great. And defensively, as good as Mike is on that end, uh, the, the Jazz right now, they need more size, they need more length, and, and they certainly, as an aside, they need that big fellow in the middle to get back to doing what he does because, you know, Rudy has not looked great lately. 
Kind of on a, uh, on that note, Sam, Sam Amick of The Athletic with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Teams have been playing uh, the Jazz five out, and they've been getting Rudy out of the paint. And it feels like uh, the Rockets really did this uh, about a month ago when Eric Gordon scored 50 points, and other teams have, have really been duplicating it, including Phoenix the other night when DeAndre Ayton got in foul trouble and had to leave the floor. But anyway, that, that aside, teams are doing that to Rudy. And, of course, we've seen the trend where the big seems to be less and less valuable or at least teams are going away from the big. How complicated of a decision is it going to be for the Jazz and Rudy on the future going forward when the league is changing around him and his position? Uh, potentially very complicated. The timing of the question is interesting, Jake, because I'm sitting here staring at a computer screen where I'm writing a story about P.J. Tucker. And I've been... I talked to the Rockets big man about this topic recently, and and this is kind of perfect for the jazz audience. And to your question, um, PJ and I, and for the listeners who might somehow not know, you know, he is the small center who the Rockets have gone with and who essentially is, you know, they are trying to revolutionize the game or some might say wreck the game by getting big men off the floor. PJ is a six foot five, 250 pound forward who is now being asked to guard all of the biggest and the baddest dudes in the NBA. And as, as we talked, he made the point, he says, listen, this would be tougher if it was back in the day, but it's not like I got to go guard Shaq. Like there's no Shaqs anymore. And I actually brought Rudy up and I was like, all right, well, how about a Rudy Gobert? And I said, I got that. And I was focusing on, on, you know, the length, the weight, all of it. He wasn't tripping about the length, but he said, he's like, how, how big is Rudy? And I said, oh, about 265. And he just shrugged. He's like, I'm 250. Like, it's nothing. You know, like he, he just acted like it was nothing at all. And, you know, whether it's Rudy and the Jazz or, um, you know, teams like that, you mentioned Aiden. I mean, the Nikola Jokic's of the world, the Nuggets big man, are going to be just fine because they're playmakers, they're shooters, they're doing, you know, those types of things, um, the DeAndre Jordans, the uh, you know, and, and Rudy is a much better version of that. Um, it is going to be hard because if the Rockets are successful in the playoffs, then what you might see is that it's a copycat league, and I don't know if they have to win a championship for this to be the case, or just get deep into the conference finals or something like that. But uh, and I'm stealing perspective from. Jared Dudley from the Lakers said this on a podcast the other day, and and it really got my attention. He said very plainly that the future of the big man is is being decided in these playoffs. And you look at a team like the Rockets, does it go that direction? Or, you know, the the Jazz or the Lakers with all the size that they have, uh, I think it's going to make this postseason really interesting. Sam, uh, Jake and I were talking earlier uh, as far as the game with Boston and the Jazz last night. In that game, Donovan Mitchell put up 30, was it 32 shots, Jake? Or 35? Uh, 30 to 32, 32, I believe it was. Yeah, 32, 15 to 32. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a lot of shots for him. And especially, you know, that Jazz offense, you've seen it enough to know that they like to get into that blender motion, passing the ball, and, and get defenses kind of off balance from that perspective. 
Boyan Bogdanovich was not shooting straight. Joe Ingles was either not shooting straight or unwilling to shoot. And Donovan put up 32 shots. He also led the team in assists, however. But we were talking about from a leadership standpoint, what is a player like that supposed to do when he's looking around and other people are either struggling with their accuracy or their willingness to shoot the ball? Is he supposed to put up 32 shots? Is that what a leader does? Or is he supposed to keep passing the ball and stay you know, stay back and, and wait for the other guys to come around? It's a tough answer to that one. I mean, I don't, you know, in terms of just how those numbers hit me, um, that's about as efficient a 32-shot night as you can have. I mean, 15 out of 32, you know, that that's going to be above his season-long clip, if I had to guess. He's yeah. probably in the mid-40s. Um, so, you know, this is not an old-school bad night at the office for the late great Toby Bryant where it's, you know, 6 of 32 where, you know, those nights in Allen Iverson, players like that, high volume, low efficiency. And beyond that, I mean, what you alluded to, Gordon, is really important. Like, Joe Ingles comes to mind. I I love Joe's game. I don't quite understand at different times, uh, you know, how a guy can be such a proficient three-point shooter but but looks just kind of have it come and go like it does when it comes to his willingness or his interest in, you know, using that part of his game. Bogdanovich is another one. If you're not out there scoring the ball, what is he doing? That's what, that's why they signed him. That's why they got him. Um, you know, Donovan, going into this year, when I talked to him at Team USA training camp in L.A., going into the season, he was pretty fired up about having this kind of help. And he did not – he's not – you know, he, for me, he's never come off as somebody who is going to not try to make the most of the supporting cast, especially if it's a good supporting cast. And let's not kid ourselves. We all thought this was a good supporting cast coming into the year. So I can't put my finger on why they are functioning this way and why he would feel like he's got to carry the load. Because I don't think it's selfishness. He, he's not a selfish player. And, you know, it's, it's just something happening with, they call it their confidence, call it their chemistry between them, that is just not, it's not there. And it's showing for the most part every time out right now. Uh, looking at the NBA nationally a little bit, Sam, with uh, Steph Curry possibly being able to come back, where do you fall on that side of play him or not play him? Because I really can see arguments from both sides. Um, I'm probably a little too close to it in terms of, you know, I've been around the Warriors recently. I've heard their point of view. They, you know, I mean, the, sure, you, you're trying to get as good a pick as possible. I get that. Uh, but first of all, it's a championship organization that is trying not to fall off the cliff all the way in that regard. You know, they're hoping to be back by next season. And I think culturally, it's just, you you know, they're not wired that way. They're not wired to leave a two-time MVP on the bench because they're trying to get a good pick because the reality is if they get where they believe they can go next year, then there's no player in this upcoming draft that's going to make any sort of actual impact on their team next season, even if they get the best guy in the field. So I just don't think that's who they are as an organization right now. Now, the irony there and the hypocrisy is that it wasn't too long ago that they were that kind of an organization, and they were doing that very thing in order to to, to move up in the draft and, and get some of the guys that, you know, when they traded, uh, I'm forgetting the deal, the Harrison Barnes deal. Um, but anyway, they've been there before, and, and but right now that's not where they are. And Steph – 
I think also needs time to just figure out where his game is to put his his mind in a certain place going into the summer. I mean, this is a, a long time away for him, and he's going to be extremely important to them next season, like always. And I don't think they like the idea of him having to figure everything out from training camp on next year. Sam, let me ask you a question and then explain why I'm asking it. Uh, other than the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers, what teams are out there that you think could be legitimate threats? Because, and here's why I'm asking it, we saw the Celtics last night as we were talking about without Kimba Walker. Man, I'll tell you what, the way Jason Tatum is playing right now, that team looks dangerous. Uh, what do you what do you make of these others, like the Raptors and the Celtics and and the Heat and the Nuggets and the Rockets? Uh, what is there any or anybody out there that's uh, pressing your button? Probably Boston and the Rockets. The Rockets, you can call it gimmicky, um, but if you know the, the the one win that they had over the Lakers right after they traded their big man Clint Capella to Atlanta and got. Robert Covington back, and they took this whole small ball strip, you know, approach to the maximum. Um, it got my attention that they played as well as they did against the Lakers, obviously a team they could see in the playoffs. So, you know, and right now they've won seven out of nine after the trade, five in a row. They look good. Russell Westbrook is playing the best ball of his career. He's not shooting threes, which is huge. He's just running roughshod down the lane. Um, so the Rockets. I would put, you know, on kind of the second tier. To me, everybody's below Milwaukee. And Boston is legit. You know, the Jason Tatum thing has been fun to watch. And I think what bodes well for the Celtics going forward is that when Kemba Walker gets back, personality-wise, this is a guy who is a far cry from Kyrie Irving from an ego standpoint. I think he's going to have no problem at all making, you know, making room for Jason Tatum to be a superstar when he gets back, and they seem to have a great vibe, have more joy in their locker room this year. They've got their limitations. Um, you know, they could use Al Horford back if, if Al hadn't gone off to Philly where it was a terrible fit with the Sixers. You know, I don't know how they're going to guard Giannis in a possible playoff series. But Boston's very good. I, I still, though, I really think that we continue to sleep on the Bucks in terms of how good they are. They just wiped the floor with Toronto – after being down, I think, 14 at one point um, the other night. That was an impressive win on a back-to-back. You know, it was a little puzzling why they struggled so much against the Wizards. That one I certainly didn't expect to see. But, you know, they're still on pace to win almost 71 games. I actually looked at it today. And, you know, if they, you know, somebody made the point to me today, if they had won a championship previously, then the level of hype around this season would be similar to when the Warriors were pushing for 73 wins. Um, but I think part of the reason there's not a ton of noise is because nobody believes in the Bucks because they've never done it before. And I get that, but, you know, they just are historically dominant right now. And, and I think, you know, that I, I was putting my mortgage on anything. It would be to see those guys in the finals. Sam, as always, thank you very much for a few moments. We really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Catch you next week, Sam. Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. One of the best. One of the best, for sure. Very insightful thoughts on what's going on with the Jazz as well. You know, and they they invested a lot into this situation. And the the fact remains they still have to just figure it out, Gordon. I mean, 
<laughs> maybe a little more challenging than we would have thought, but still. That that last part is absolutely 100% accurate. I mean, I didn't see this coming. No. I, I had no clue. I, I thought this was going to be a good move. I certainly understand why the Jazz thought that. You had them penned into the finals, I know. No, I didn't do that, but uh, I certainly thought they were going to be ahead of where they are now, as, particularly as it pertains to this key element. Well, Andy had Donovan Mitchell scoring 35 points a game. I mean, it's not what I said. <laughs> I said 25. You did not because you said 28, and then the number we settled on was 26. Was it? Okay. You had to come down. 26. Mm-hmm. Well, I was being reasonable. You know, I didn't want to be outlandish. You? Never. And let's see, what is he averaging? I think it's like 24 and a half. A little bit ahead of that, isn't it? After last night? We'll have to go after know. last night. <laughs> All right. We'll have more coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.